Hello, and welcome to episode 167 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Nancy Kopp, State Treasurer for the State of Maryland. Nancy is also on the chair, the chair of the Commission on State Debt. She is the chair of the Capital Debt Affordability Committee, a member of the powerful Board of Public Works alongside the Governor and the Comptroller of Maryland. Ms. Kopp is a former delegate representing District 16 in Bethesda, Maryland from 1975 to 2002, a position she was first elected to at the age of 31. And she's a former presidential appointee to the National Assessment of Governing Board under President Clinton. Uh, Treasurer Kopp is a former Capitol Hill legislative staffer and is a former Democratic Party National Committee member and convention delegate. Uh, in total, she has given 42 years to public service. Treasurer Kopp, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm, I'm great, Jordan. And let me say, every day of service has been both an honor and a pleasure. Well, wonderful. That is the topic of today's discussion. So going on that comment, I'd like to ask you the first question, which is, uh, how? what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? Well, I think there are many ways in which you can advance the public interest, and the public interest uh, either in, in terms of official actions, governmental actions, or uh, improving the community in any number of ways. In fact, I would say uh, that, uh, that raising a family and uh, helping in the schools and helping helping around uh, around town is very significant public action. And I hope an improvement to the community. I've had the honor of serving in the legislature and then serving as treasurer of statewide constituency. And in each job, I think the most rewarding and important um, uh, aspect has been to work with other people and try to figure out to some extent what a priority of needs are and then bring people together to try to address those those needs in a positive way, not always solving a problem, but moving forward to make, make things better. And uh, I guess an example just off the top of my head, when I was first elected, um, a couple of colleagues and I met with some women uh, from families who had been in the military and the foreign service. And uh, they were very distressed because they had handicapped children and they cared for them at home and they cared very much about uh, about their their care. They were developmentally disabled and there was no way in which these mothers could get any break. They didn't have the capacity to bring people into the home to help them and there was nowhere to go. And working with the surrounding community, we created uh, the concept, really, of um, of hospice uh, care. Not hospice as you think of it now, but hospice as a place where uh, mothers could take children for the weekend. But this was the, the actual instance. For the weekend where they knew they would be cared for, they would be overlooked, I mean, looked over and... and, and uh, assisted, and the mothers could just go home and go to bed for a weekend. That was my first introduction to even thinking about the needs of people 
who were slightly outside of my community and my so, ken at that point. So you were presenting, you were presented with that challenge while you were a state delegate. And was the solution legislative? Did you pass a law and were appropriations uh, made available to yes, create yes. that hospice care? It, it, it was. Uh, uh, it, we had to pass a law and there had to be some provisions. But more importantly, we had to work to help orient the community towards an understanding of the need. And of course, it's grown since then mm-hmm. tremendously in contact. But but I think it was as much working together in the community to recognize a need and help address it in a positive and sustainable way than simply passing the law or enacting an appropriation. Now, it sounds as though that issue came to light after you were elected, which is to say you didn't campaign on that issue. How did you reconcile your priorities from the as you enumerated them on the campaign trail when you first uh, sought to become delegate with actual actions that you needed to take uh, while you were elected? Well, uh, one thing that you learn in public office, and I learned very quickly uh, in the House of Delegates, is that you have many balls in the air at the same time. And you have uh, different sets of priorities. There are some very basic priorities that sort of um, uh, underlie everything you do. And then as issues come up or as you develop them, uh, you move them along also. Let me give you an example. When I was first elected in the early 70s, we were very, very concerned about good government, about ethics in government, transparency in government. Um, and so I worked with others to enact uh, the open meetings law, uh, to change mm-hmm. procedures in the legislature so we had recorded committee votes, um, things like that. That mm-hmm. impacts a whole range of specific issue areas. While at the, and, and I campaigned on doing that. Well, at the same time, as you come to know the community more and, for instance, Meet the families of these uh, um, uh, uh, of these these military families. Um, it, it, it simply added to your perception of what's needed to improve the community. So, so there there are a number of different uh, uh, dimensions, and you have to do all of it at the same time. So, you campaigned on an idea of good governance, right? on the heels of multiple scandals uh, involving Spiro Agnew, the former governor of Maryland, um, Marvin Mandel the, in the 1970s, the governor of Maryland, um, both of whom uh, were facing various uh, charges of corruption. And, and of course, uh, with, Richard Nixon. And, and Richard Watergate. Nixon. So, so, but Maryland in particular was facing challenging times in the 1970s. You became delegate and of course, there's that amorphous concept of political capital that is accrued over time, which is the ability to get things done on your own. Now, freshman delegates do not come in with too much political capital at all. Exactly. Yet you're, you said when you first became delegate, you were able to get this new program, this hospice program done. And, and over time, you were also able to uh, pass sunshine laws and get committee votes recorded. 
Can you speak about how you were able to accomplish those things early in your tenure as a delegate, particularly in light of the lack of political capital that most freshman delegates have? Absolutely. Um, and, and the answer for me and for most people, I think, is although they may not all want to say it all the time, I never did anything by myself. Uh, the, uh, uh, the way things were done is to work with other people and to bring them along and uh, understand where they're coming from and what their priorities and concerns are uh, and educate them about our concerns and our, and our priorities. That's the only way we could have gotten it done. I had a slight advantage, uh, Jordan, because I had worked for the legislature for three years before I ran for office. I, I worked as a staff for the Montgomery County delegation, and I worked under the tutelage and mentorship of some great, great, thoughtful, concerned leaders from uh, from Montgomery County and a few from outside of Montgomery County, too, one of whom was Ben Carton, who was then a, a delegate from Baltimore City. Uh, so it, 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 I never went in with a feeling that I alone was going to change the world. I did go in with the feeling that I had an opportunity to work with people and improve things, improve things that I saw as problems now, and to learn more and uh, recognize that there was a great deal I didn't know and, uh, and, and wanted to learn, and that that would help me also to serve the community. So on the topic of having an opportunity to work with people, I want to fast forward to your present role um, on the Board of Public Works as one of three members who determines, uh, and I'll ask you in a minute exactly what the Public Works does, but essentially okay. a, a lot of contracts and operations for the state of Maryland. And you sit with a Democratic comptroller and a Republican governor. Of course, you are a Democrat um, yourself. And and I'd like you, in, with, with having the opportunity to work with people, I'd like you to take a moment, especially uh, in these times in the early 21st century where partisanship uh, seems to be um, uh, quite quite an important factor in modern politics. Uh, can you speak about the opportunity you have with work of pe- to work with people of potentially different persuasions and philosophies on this Board of Public Works and what you see your responsibility as uh, in that capacity? You bet. Um, it is it is a great opportunity. And and by the way, Jordan, when I mentioned in the legislature, my entire time in the legislature, working with people, I didn't mean just with other Democrats. Right. Although we tried to have the Democrats stick together as, as much as possible. Actually, one of my closest colleagues was the Republican minority leader in the House. Um, sitting on the Board of Public Works, first, first of all, the, the Board of Public Works approves all the major contracts and procurements of the state. Uh, it's a unique body. No other state has, has anything like this. And it means that decisions about the actual expenditure of state funds, not the appropriations, but the actual expenditure, uh, are decisions which are usually made behind closed doors in gubernatorial executive offices. Uh, but in Maryland, they're made by this group of three officers uh, in public with advance notice and, in fact, uh, are televised. Um, Most of the decisions are not political, and they're not split. Uh, Most of the decisions 
uh, involved examining and making sure the process of procurement has run appropriately. And there's little division on that, but a joint interest in making sure the process works well. There are issues in which we differ. And uh, I think to some extent the difference reflects the position of parties or the perception of the importance of problems being served by the community as a whole as opposed to by individuals. Um, and I do agree that things are now more partisan than they used to be, although, thank heavens, Annapolis is not like Capitol Hill. Uh, and when you do have the issues that look as though they might split on partisan lines, I think uh, you have to do what I always have tried to do as long as I've been in, in public service, which is to understand the problems as best you can, understand the ramifications of the solution, different proposed solutions, and uh, come to the conclusion that you think is most in the public interest. Underlying it all on the Board of Public Works, as far as I'm concerned, is assuring that the process for extending uh, uh, funds, the process for signing contracts, is consistent, is, follows the law, is equitable, and therefore uh, cannot be challenged. I might not agree with every specific decision or every specific cross, uh, project, but if the process is consistent and the process is fair and transparent, uh, I, uh, I think we can come to a conclusion that we can all live with. There are a number of two-to-one decisions, uh, but I, don't, I think the most important thing is that the process uh, continue to maintain integrity. Now, you did speak. Um, clearly, you see that common theme of integrity uh, surfacing throughout your years of service, both as an initial instigator and campaign uh, plank in your platform uh, when you first ran for the House of Delegates, and of course you see it continuing on through your current service on the Board of Public Works. You also spoke as one of the primary responsibilities of an elected official is to establish a, a sense of priorities, of needs, in a positive way. Um, it, would you say that the difference uh, in those two-to-one votes on the Board of Public Works is a difference of priorities? And if so, how are you able to identify and reconcile the different priorities? Uh, to some extent, uh, they are, and, and it's a very interesting question. There is an issue that has uh, divided us for the last year or so, for instance. Um, in, in the school construction program, the Comptroller, uh, my friend Peter Franco, with whom I've worked for decades, and the governor uh, believe that the Board of Public Works should essentially um, take precedence over the local boards of education and the uh, normal school construction decisions process and put a higher priority on putting room air conditioners in schools to make sure that all schools are air conditioned as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. I, of course, don't disagree with them that, uh, that students should, and teachers should be working in an environment that's conducive to learning. And, uh, and I, Washington summer heat is pretty oppressive. So I'm not against air conditioning at all. 
But I believe much more strongly than they do that decisions about the uh, uh, construction and the operation of the local schools should be made at the local level. So we discuss this and we come to different positions, and that's reflected in our in our vote. Um, but then you go on to the next issue. That's very curious. Um, that you find yourself in opposition to a Republican governor um, on this idea because typically uh, the modern-day Democratic Party is associated with stronger, larger, centralized government, which would be the Federalist position, and the Republican Party is, is typically associated with more limited government, a more anti-Federalist approach where states' rights are more uh, should be have elevated more than, um, say, the central government. So in this respect, as a Democrat, it's curious that you believe in the uh, primacy of local jurisdictions on a local level with local boards of education to make their decision uh, instead of prioritizing the power of the central uh, state well, for public works. Yeah, I, I, it, it, that is interesting, uh, Jordan, and it's it's a sort of a broad question. In this instance, under Maryland state law, uh, different functions are assigned to different bodies and different levels. And I believe under Maryland state law, the operations of the schools are assigned to the uh, to the counties, uh, which are also the school the school districts, and and other types of decisions assigned to the state. But it is interesting that you mention that because, of course, when when I was becoming politically mature in the 1960s and 70s, you're right. States' rights was clearly a uh, Republican and Southern call, and it was uh, it was used in the fight against civil rights, for instance, um, the, the fight against the civil rights bill and uh, uh, against the uh, um, uh, Anti-poverty programs, a lot of programs that we saw uh, uh, better better administered at the national level because those who at that point were preaching state rights really simply didn't want the programs at all. So would, um, would you now, say? Let me just say, now in Washington, that's not so consistent because there are things right now in uh, in, in Washington in, in, in uh, 2017 that Republicans are pushing to, uh, to to constrain the state the big environmental fight that is that's coming up in Washington that doesn't get Maryland as much but it's going to be between Washington and California and whether Washington continues to allow California to set environmental standards that are more stringent than national standards. So uh, it depends on where you sit and at what point in time you're at. So you're speaking about the evolution of national political parties, of which you've been a part uh, as part of the Democratic National Committee, and, and it seems as though you also have a personal evolution of your own political philosophy can you speak about your role uh, on a Democratic Party National Committee and how you have been a part historically in the in the evolution and, and the determination of the Democratic National Party platform? Well, 
uh, I'm not saying that I have had a, a great influence on the Democratic Party, but I've been an active Democrat for a number of decades now. And uh, I do think as I uh, have, have lived a political life, I've become more and more understanding of the need for compromise and to have a big tent and to bring people together. Uh, I started out more uh, like sort of a cause-oriented person. I still believe in causes. I believe in principles. Uh, but I think that you have to have action as well as words and really bring people together. And that's, that's always a fight <laughs> over the decades, probably over the centuries, that goes on within a party. Um, uh, but, but when I was active, more active on the national uh, committee and in, in politics, uh, partisan politics, um, I always took the route of trying to bring people together, recognizing others' needs, trying to respond to them and educate them about our needs and try to, to look to the long term, not to see each day as a fight but try to bring people together for uh, for change over the long over the long haul. Now, just briefly, um, we did speak about the Board of Public Works. We spoke about your role as delegate a little bit. Um, it's, uh, many listeners will recognize that the comptroller, who's already been a guest in Public Interest Podcast, um, is the individual who's responsible for collecting the revenues for the state. That the governor uh, basically executes the laws directed. Uh, by the state legislature, could you take a moment and speak about your role as state treasurer um, and how that differs in service from your previous role as a directly elected official? Sure. Well, the treasurer, uh, as you know, is elected by the legislature, which is particularly important in Maryland because the governor has tremendous budgetary authority. He, He proposes a budget and the legislature can cut it can suggest what is done with the funds cut, but they can't actually themselves add money or move them around. But on the other hand, as I mentioned, the decisions for particular procurements and contracts are made by the Board of Public Works, and I'm there as the eyes and ears of the legislature, although I take an oath of office to the people, not to uh, not to the legislature, and my four-year term, in fact, uh, goes beyond the the tenure of those legislators who elect me. Uh, but, but it is a way of sort of balancing the two, uh, uh, the, two, the two branches. As state treasurer, my major functions are to invest the cash flow of the state, to uh, be in charge of the banking relationships between the, the government and the government agencies and, and the banks, uh, to oversee the insurance of the state and to lead the state when we go to Wall Street to borrow money uh, and uh, work with the rating agencies to assure that Maryland maintains a AAA bond rating. Those are the major functions, although I personally also am uh, chair of the uh, state pension board, uh, oversees the pension of state teachers and employees, on which the comptroller also sits. Um, and uh, chair the uh, College Savings Board, our 529 program, uh, uh, savings for, for college, for families, uh, so on which the comptroller sits also. So we do a lot of things together, but the, the function, as you point out, it 
is different. The comptroller collects the taxes uh, and keeps the books of the of the state. I invest uh, the monies and then reconcile what's in the bank to what's on his books. And so, Nancy, this is a pretty financially heavy role, and those were not issues that you necessarily campaigned on and prioritized as a state delegate. That's How right. was it that it occurred to you that you ought to run among your colleagues to be the state treasurer? Well, when I was in the in the legislature, I did, uh, first of all, spend my 27 years on the House Appropriations Committee, uh, on the Pension Committee, and on the Capital Budget Committee, so that I was involved in the issues as a politician, not as an economist or an accountant, um, uh, involved in those, these issues all along. But I will tell you, the best thing I did becoming state treasurer was to bring in outstanding professionals uh, who work in the state treasurer's office and in the pension system and in the college savings uh, system, and then try to get them the resources and buffer them from political influence to the extent I can. Okay. Well, uh, I appreciate the explanation of your current role and uh, your ability to delve into a variety of issues from partisanship to uh, actual responsibilities of various topics you've held. As we approach the end of this podcast, I'd like to ask you a final question, which is to speak to the people of Maryland about your 42 years of public service, 27 of which were on the House Appropriations Committee in the Maryland House of Delegates. Uh, some of your years in public service were as a staffer on Capitol Hill, some as a staffer to committee in uh, Annapolis with the Maryland General Assembly and speak about why it is that you found it so important in your life to do public service, both as an elected official, um, as, as, a, as a mother raising a family, especially um, uh, coming into politics in a time when there weren't too many women in politics. Why is it that you chose to spend your life working to advance the public interest through public service? And what do you hope, uh, what do you see as your legacy? What have you accomplished throughout those years of public service? Well, Jordan, as, as I think you know, I, I started out planning to get a Ph.D. in political philosophy and teach philosophy uh, for the rest of my life. I didn't, I didn't do that. I, my life took an unexpected turn. Uh, I went to work on Capitol Hill and then for the legislature and then ran for office. And I found that running for office was the most rewarding thing I had ever done getting out and meeting people, understanding uh, the lives of my neighbors and those across the state and across the country as, as, as time passed, and understanding how much we have in common, how many problems we can solve working together. And uh, my greatest reward has been to attempt to uh, solve problems and improve the lives uh, of, of, uh, of other members of the community, the lives of those who are here right now and, and those to come, uh, which brought us into issues like environmental protection, uh, uh, putting a, slowing down at least uh, uh, climate change impact, and a range, a range of things like that. Uh, and one of the things that I've been doing most recently as I've gotten older, think about succession and think about the next generation and start focusing much more on 
bringing young people into government and into other ways of public service, and uh, also bringing women and minorities onto the boards of our public corporations in America, because uh, we have, I have found uh, through my experience in investment that there is a correlation between diversity of boards and decision makers and the bottom line success of a corporation. So I would say now that my greatest reward is, is A, serving and seeing problems addressed and uh, progress made, but also seeing new people, young people, and older people, too, uh, understand the joys and the and, and the, 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 the pleasures of public service and themselves wanting to reach out and solve problems. I much prefer that than, uh, than going to, uh, into a negative uh, adversarial role, although you can do that too and you have to at times. But, um, but I would say that my greatest reward and honor has, has been to be elected by my colleagues and fellow citizens to work on problems that face them. And that has been Nancy Cobb, State Treasurer for Maryland, former delegate representing uh, the, the corner of Montgomery County, Maryland, in the Maryland House of Delegates, Chair of the Capital Debt Affordability Committee, Commission on State Debt, member of the Board of Public Works, former uh, committee member on the Democratic Party National Committee and Convention Delegate, who speaks about uh, the rewarding uh, benefits of having had a life in public service where really having the opportunity as a politician to understand members of her own community and our broader American community and the opportunity to work together with others, some of the same and some of differing uh, political persuasions to solve problems in a, in a collaborative fashion to have real impacts on Americans' lives, both on current the current generation and future generations. For uh, Nancy Kopp, those uh, opportunities in public service uh, have, have made it all worthwhile, whereas she, she admits that she has uh, evolved um, in her political philosophy, beginning first um, as a cause and principle-driven politician, and she evolved into someone who has been, uh, in her words, a little bit more uh, open to compromise and pragmatic, who has prioritized action. Um, she's someone who has seen uh, many different levels of public service, both um, as an elected official directly by the people and an official elected by other elected officials and has, has worked with publicly held corporations um, and seen their benefits as a society. Nancy is somebody who has worked for decades upon decades to essentially improve lives of individuals in her community. And uh, that has been invigorating, intrinsically rewarding, and uh, leaves a legacy of public service for generations to come. So, Nancy, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jordan. And this has been Episode 167 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe at publicinterestpodcast.com. Listen on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And should you wish to communicate with Nancy or react to this episode, if you have any thoughts on what she said, call 240-630-0380. That voicemail will go to Public Interest Podcast and could potentially be placed live on our website, publicinterestpodcast.com. 